Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. And my name is Matt. And I'm Matt too. We are going to talk today about some upcoming bills that have a public hearing on February 13th and 14th. Day and a half worth of uh, upcoming hearings and testimony. What better way to spend a couple days around Valentine's Day than with some public hearings and testimony on education legislation? If I were you, I would attend these hearings with your partner and tell them how much you love them. Absolutely. Bring some flowers, some chocolates, and just just hold hands with your partner and then say, let's, let's, let's listen to some, some, some testimony on these. That's and a great way to spend a day. And at 9 a.m. on the 13th, which would be a nice preview of Valentine's Day, you could listen to LD375, an act to promote the forest products industry in school construction and renovation involving heating systems. You went with your NPR voice on that one. Oh, this one sounds so exciting. So promote the forest products industry in school construction and renovation involving heating We did talk about this one on our titles episode. We did. Yes. Go back and listen. It was and great. what we thought it was was a bill that was going to say, hey, uh, maybe you should think about using wood because we're a wood state and you should use wood when you're doing construction. And it became what? What does the bill say? This bill requires consideration of modern wood heating systems with wood biomass fuels sourced locally and in a manner that benefits the state's economy. So we yeah, were right. We were right on that one. How That will never happen again. No, it won't. There's one little wrinkle to this that I think is worth talking about. Okay. Um, in the actual language, it says, uh, in approving school construction projects, the state board shall ensure that school administrative units have considered, and here's where I have a problem, quote, and demonstrated a preference for modern wood heating systems. That's where I have a problem, the demonstrated a preference. So if you're building a new building, you have to not only consider wood, but then say, nope, we wanted wood, but we couldn't use it because of X, Y, Z, A, B, C. So this is kind of like the MLTI one that I was concerned about, which we'll talk about in a future podcast, but we also did a preview of it where the, the conversation was, you have to choose the lower option. Mm -hmm. So why do we have to demonstrate a preference for, main, for, for wood products? It's interesting because in the summary, it doesn't mention that at all. Nope. So I'm interested in seeing what that testimony looks like. I am too. All right, let's go to the next one. Let's do it. They're, they've been so good so far. LD-225, <laughs> it gets better, I'm telling you. These these are good ones today. Oh, this this, this one right here, uh, LD-225, an act regarding transportation management software and school bus replacement. Man, Settle down. Settle, Matt, 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 sit down, please. Calm yourself. <laughs> Maybe do a little bit of yoga, some meditation. So here's what's going to happen. We need happen. to do an OM. We, we, we might. Okay. Uh, because we're talking about retiring school buses. Oh, no. man, it's so sad. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, they, the commissioners has to approve a request to replace a conventional school bus or a transit-style school bus if the bus has at least 150,000 miles and been in operation for 10 or more years. Yep. So, so if it's if it's an yep. old or used bus and and may dare I may say may not be safe for kids anymore, yep, you have to approve the the, the commissioner has to approve that request instead of possibly saying no, which is I'm guessing what's in law. Right and may now. It either in law or has been practice. So the other part of this one, since we also said transportation management software, is that the DOE may not require an 
a uh, school administrative unit to use a specific brand of routing and transportation management software. And this is contrast to like the MLTI one we talked about, to the forest management, where, where it's trying to get you to do a certain thing. This one's saying, no, 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 you should, you do not have to use one particular product. Yep. Pick the one you like. Pick best. the one that you like best, whether it costs as much or costs nothing because you locally designed it. Awkward. Let's go to the next one. We're flying through these today. We're flying through these so hard, you might get burned. They're going so quick. But fortunately, we have a bill that will save you from that. All right. I have nothing. This I, one's LD441, an act to reduce childhood exposure. I hope you're exposure. happy with yourself. <laughs> I am. Go ahead, tar this one again. An act to reduce childhood exposure to harmful ultraviolet radiation by allowing students to use sunscreen in schools. Uh, this one is saying a student who wants to use sunscreen can do it, and they don't have to have authorization from a parent or a note or a prescription. Okay. So what else is there? Let's go to the next one. That was it. Uh, I, I have. I got nothing to say on that. I'm in. I'm, I'm, uh, Yay. Allergens, maybe, but okay. I, I don't know. Next one. There, there's probably reasons for not doing it. I just don't know what they are. So we're in our last one of the morning. And if you've brought your partner to like a Valentine's Day preview, <laughs> you might not be with him anymore. Unless you really love each other. Ah, that'd be great because you have one more to listen to. And which, which is? LD395, which is an act to protect access to outside of school enrichment opportunities. Oh, yes. So this one has, is all new language. It talks about enrichment opportunities outside of school. And what it says is that an SAU may not prohibit a student from accessing any type of enrichment opportunity outside of school unless you determine that it might interfere with the ability, the student's ability to meet the actual standards of the SAU. So kind of, if you wanted to get some edu-speak here, sure. kids kind of have to be on pace before you can go outside the school and do stuff. Yes. In really short general Very sh- No, that, that, that's it. I'm just, I'm just going over in my head how I feel about this one. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it either because it, it seems too prohibitive and restrictive for schools and districts to decide how they determine either eligibility for extracurriculars or other things. It's all based on academics and... I don't think that, I don't know, I have a problem with basing all extracurriculars on academic standing. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people do these things. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about enrichment opportunities, isn't it, don't we want, let's, let's go with this, attack sure. it from this way. Don't we want kids to be knowing that they can learn anytime, anywhere? I would hope right? so. I Outs- hope that's part of our culture. The, outside the school is okay to learn from. What they're saying is they don't want to be enrichment opportunities, which is kind of old language in my opinion, that they don't want kids going outside of school to learn stuff. Yeah. Okay, I can see that, yeah. Unless they're on pace and then it's okay. So, so, yeah, an additional... It's a weird one. It is weird. So so even if a student is passing a school, this is, well, I guess this is a school is saying a school cannot prohibit a kid from going and getting one of those one of those opportunities. So maybe I'm in favor of this one, actually. Well, they can't prohibit it unless the kid's on pace, unless it interferes with the student's ability to meet the academic standards of the SAU. Right. If it does interfere, they can't do that. And 
it prohibits staff involvement from doing that. From that, you can't even get a teacher involved. Yeah, there's some wrinkles to this. That some, I, and it's a, the, and here's the weirdest part to me. Okay. This one is presented by Representative uh, Barry of Bodenham. Yeah. Who is a strong advocate for education in Maine. Yes. Yeah, absolutely is. So there's a reason behind it that we don't know. Right. And I'm very interested in what his testimony is going to yeah, be. Yeah, I want to hear more about this. It because he is, he is he's very much in favor of all new types of learning, outside of learning. But there's a reason that this one's on here, and I don't know until we get the, that uh, testimony. Yeah, I definitely want to hear more about this one because there's some wrinkles in here that are causing my eyebrows to raise. And I so, like some ideas of it, but also other things that I'm not so sure about depending on the language. So that's February 13th in the morning. That is on a Wednesday. So we had some on buses, on heating systems, sunscreen. Sunscreen. Makes me feel of summer. So in summer, there's a lot more traffic happening. In the Are you state, really right? doing this right now? I'm a professional. <laughs> okay. A professional. I, I won't step on your toes. I'm going to let you sit in this one, so go right ahead. <laughs> so Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m., we have uh, four new bills. The first one is LD-470, speaking of sunscreen, it's LD-470, an act to provide traffic safety education in schools. So when you're applying your sunscreen, which is now legal, basically don't get hit by a bus or a car or really anything. Sure. So what this is going to do, as Matt is like just trying to shake his head, make me go away, uh, what this does <laughs> It requires you to provide at least one hour of age-appropriate traffic safety education annually to students in grades 2 to 12. And there's a whole bunch of other, like, specific things that they, they want you to, to do. Right, um, right, right. A lot of new information. Uh, but it's basically you have to do at least one hour annually on traffic safety education. And this does not, as it says in there, does not supplant a driver education course. That's yeah, not so the same thing as traffic safety. It's not for those. It's basically don't get hit by cars and look both ways and all the things. Wear a helmet. Standard. Yeah. So here's my thoughts about this one. Go for it. Um, we kind of already do that in a lot of schools. This is under our health curriculum. Yes. We have a lot of traffic safety stuff. A lot of our schools have like a, uh, I don't know, it's not called walk to school, but it's a, I, I don't. I don't know exactly what it is, but your kids could drop out from a different place. Then you walk to school. Walking school bus. Walking school bus. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, I know. Glad I, you're here. I know a lot about those. <laughs> They're really cool. They're great. And that's where a lot of information gets out to our kids. And in our schools that that do this, um, it's extremely popular. Yeah. And clearly, the staff members that are trying to help with that are talking about these type of things anyway. So this is one. I think it's got really good intentions. Mm-hmm. But I think most schools already do it. Well, I, I don't know about most schools. I wouldn't. I don't know if I necessarily say if that. If you can, if they, if, if, if they, they can, if if they're if kids are close enough that they can walk to it, I'll give you that one. There are a lot of very rural, very schools rural schools that, that kids might not. don't have around that. But I'm not sure if they're not teaching traffic safety. They may not be doing walking school bus. Right. But traffic safety, I would argue that people have already thought of this. I, I would I would hope so. I like the, the But again there's a reason, right? Yeah, there's a reason. I like the thought of this. Mm-hmm. My question is and it's going to be a kind of consistent one with this stuff is is it funded? This is another mandate that is being required mm-hmm. upon our teachers and upon our staff. How are they going to fund it? How are they going to support it? And how are they going to monitor it to make sure that it's actually happening? 
So those are questions I know that would be answered probably through work session or mm-hmm. other areas. But um, more standards that are forced upon schools. Right. With and potentially no funding nor PD around that one. Although it does say you can contract out to other places. It, it does. That and and, me a bit. and I mean, I know most I'm sure most schools do this in some way, shape or form. They, they teach their kids how to be safe out there. They teach it. There's a big focus on safety in, in every school. I just I'm just questioning the real real world need. I just don't under, I, I'm not there yet. I might get on board with this if I hear the testimony and if I hear the reasons for it or hear other things behind it. Um, I'm just not sure yet. That testimony is going to be the afternoon of Wednesday, February 13th again, room 208 in the Cross Building, Augusta, Maine, United States. The next one is LD-167, an act to prevent food shaming in Maine public schools. This one is interesting. Yeah, this one has gone around a lot. And I know in my district we've talked about this quite a bit. Yeah. And try to do some new policies that prevent food shaming. Uh, This one really talks about schools that provide free and reduced price meals, which is pretty much most everybody in Maine. Just Not not all of them, but mostly all of them. Just about every. Extremely strong majority. Yes. Um, that if kids can't quite pay for that or if they are in debt for that, that they still have to supply a meal. They still get a meal. Period. Right. End. Yep. Yep. They get a meal. They get a meal. Which is great. They also can't punish the student because, like, wearing a bracelet or a stamp or something, which, as I was reading that, that's kind of crazy. That's, that's... Yeah, there, there, there's there's historical marks yeah. of when you, people were given yeah. things to wear yeah. that for, I went for, right there too for identifying things. I don't want to go there no. with no, that should not happen. And the thing that gets me the most about that that is actually section three of this bill. Yeah, that means it's happening somewhere. These oftentimes these bills come up because something happened. Yeah, it's a response. It's to a something. response to something. Very rarely is it preventative. Yeah. It's mostly reactive. Yeah. Something has happened that's bad. Let's put a law in to, to like make right. stop that from happening, which is awesome. I mean, that that's the way to, oh, my God, this really happens? Right. What is happening? Yeah. I. I, I it also talks about communication, by the way, uh, trying to uh, make sure that the school or the school district communicates with the parents or guardians and that it's not about the student. It's about the parents. Right. So don't really talk about, hey, Matt. Uh, you're really way behind on your meals, and you're like 11. I, it's like it's really. I don't get an allowance. Exactly. So it's really talks about for this? going to the parents and guardians right. more, which I think I think that's really that's, good. That's I the, think the whole thing is good. That's what the communication needs to be. Is I that think the, the whole thing is pretty good. I know. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. There are a lot of districts in there uh, out there right now that are talking about this anyway right now and trying to prevent those things, and I think it's working for the most part. I can speak for my district. It's we've really talked about this in depth. Um, for like a year now, trying to figure this out and make sure everybody's educated about it and try to educate mm-hmm. the parents that this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to help. It's never going to be public. It's all behind-the-scenes stuff, so you don't have to be shamed, as it well, were. Well, that, that, that's the thing. If that's you, if the you, idea. If, if, if your vision or your, or your mission or your core values and beliefs in a school or a district are about the kids and the kids first and not about necessarily a bottom line, then it's a very easy decision that you, you, don't, you don't do that kind of stuff to them. Right. You, you, you contact the parents. You make sure that the students are not being held accountable for something that they have nothing to do with. Exactly. I like the idea behind this. 
I do too. I don't think there's going to be any negative ones, but you never know. So let's go to the next one. Uh, we got two more for the afternoon of the 13th. You're Busy day. For your uh, Valentine's Day Eve celebrations, uh, you can listen to an act to recognize employee background checks conducted for out-of-state schools eligible for Maine tuition assistance. And this one, Matt, is an emergency. It's an emergency legislation. So if this were to vote, go get get elected and voted in, it would be happening right away. Go into place right away. So this one is weird to me, and I'm having a little trouble understanding it. But basically. It provides that the tuition payment to an out-of-state high school, if a student lives in an, in an SAU that doesn't have a high school. Okay, so we have tons of those in Maine. Sure. So if they're going to an out-of-state high school, so immediately I'm thinking if they're going to a physical high school, they're clearly on the border somewhere, whether it's to New Hampshire or to Canada, although that gets a little more complex, I would assume. <laughs> <laughs> But, but borders do make things complex. A, a little bit. You know what? We No, I'm not going there. So it doesn't. It says that. That was an off the air conversation that we yeah, had that we're just now. We're not, we're not going to do that. No. So the tuition. We're going to set a wall right there in between that conversation. There we are. The tuition payment to an out-of-state high school that does not maintain a high school may not be withheld solely because persons regularly employed in that school do not meet the background check requirements in Maine law. Right. So I'm going to assume that this also means virtual schools? Could be. If it's an out-of-state virtual school. There, there are Could I be. I know there are some in New Hampshire that are based in New Hampshire that some Maine kids go to go to, you, right. know, uh, you know, work with, that sort of thing. But they're based elsewhere, so they don't have a presence in Maine. Right. Their, their I, base is in New Hampshire. This could have a, a broader aspect, too, because if there are a lot of students who, for one reason or another, need to go to an outplacement school in a different state, um, there might be rules in this in, the, in, our, in our, our laws, our, our books, that say, well, a school has to have teachers with Maine background checks. Well, if you're in Connecticut... And our and our school and we're sending our student there for out of district placement. They're not going to get a Maine background check. Right. They're going to have a Connecticut background check. So, if they have a Connecticut background check, the technology now is good enough that we can see those things and transfer those things pretty easily. So, I think we can accept that. I think that's the idea behind this. I think that's the idea behind it too. Is to just basically say, you know what? It's okay. We don't have to wait off to wait the five weeks to get the paperwork in. We could just it could be done in an email. And since that is um, probably based on something that's happening right now, since it's an emergency, so that will assuming this goes through, it becomes immediately effective if it passes instead of waiting the ninety days. Right. So one more fascinating one that afternoon. I'm assuming that afternoon is going to be pretty quick. This is LD two hundred six, <sighs> which is an act. To raise the University sorry, of Maine system debt ceiling. Sorry, to raise the University of Maine system debt ceiling. From $220 million to $350 million. You know, nothing says romance on Valentine's Day like a discussion of raising the debt ceiling. Not even sure why we have a debt ceiling. That's probably something for our other podcasts. I, yep. You know, I'm done with this one. Yeah, because let's you know let's what I want on. to get to? I want to get to Valentine's Day. Ooh. Because these are awesome. Now we have some actual instructional stuff to talk about. So let's talk. Let's let's talk. It's not necessarily just, you know, sunscreen. 
Mm -hmm. or Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Let's talk about LD160, an act to add instruction in personal finance to the statewide system of learning results. We did talk about this one on our titles one episode too. We did. And this one adds personal finance to the learning results. It, yeah, so you have all of our standards. That's it. All of our standards, so you have English language arts and learning results, mathematics, science, social studies, including personal finance. It actually lists out that a part of social studies is personal finance. There's another bill coming forward to later on about civics. So then would the law say social studies, including personal finance and civics? And then there's another law that says the Holocaust. Talk about teaching about the Holocaust. So would the law then say social studies, including personal finance, civics, and the Holocaust? Yes. Okay. Uh, I will also say this as a follow-up to another conversation we've had before. Um, Maine DOE has been doing a standards refresh on re-looking at their, both the science standards and the social studies standards. It could be why the work session for NGSS was delayed because there's also a statewide look at the science standards being redone. Um, but they've also been looking at the social studies standards. And within that refresh, within that re rejuvenation of the social studies standards, there's a whole list of personal finance. Personal finance is an embedded and explicit part of this update for the social studies standards. So what I'm wondering is, how does this tie in with that? If they're smart, they'll all tie them in together at the end. Right. So I guess the question I have is, if, it's going to, if the standards are going to be adopted with personal finance in there, is this bill then needed? I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. What We're is this talk now? about an act to require cursive handwriting instruction in, in grade three to grade so, five. So, so an act, an act, an act yes. to require yes. cursive handwriting instruction in grades three to grades five. This may have come up on our title episode also. The, the, this did, and it got a, a very uh, feeling from me. So here's what adds to it. Um, the, this is all added language. Uh, beginning July 1st of 2020, you must provide for the continual regular instruction of and opportunities to use cursive handwriting beginning no later than grade three and continuing to the end of grade five. It must be designed to enable students to demonstrate competency in cursive handwriting by the end of grade five. Okay, so as I've said in a pre or earlier, a couple questions. One, if it's a mandate, how are you going to fund it? Yep. How are you going to support it? Yep. And how are you going to make sure you're holding it accountable? All of those things are true. Those are, those are three surface-level basic questions I have whenever they're going to ask us, ask our teachers to do something new, okay, or, or add a new requirement onto their already crazy, busy, overwhelming lives. Now, my next question on this has to do more of a maybe a sociological standpoint. Shoot. Um, I, I would encourage anyone listening to this to next time you're in a room – of let's say 15, 20 people, or you're walking around, ask people the following questions. First question, two questions. One, when was the last time you wrote someone a letter in full cursive? A handwritten letter and sent it to someone in full cursive. When was the first time, the last time you did that? And then follow that up with, when was the last time you received and had to read a letter in full cursive? You're fun at parties, aren't you? I am his awesome at parties. These are the kind of parlor games that I just excel at. So some of the who needs improv and Pictionary? I have questions about cursive. So some of the the topics that's going to come up 
is about what's the research behind this, why we need this, right? Right. And I was talking about this with somebody last week, and they said they've been trying to find some research, and there's potential research out there that it helps with fine motor skills in boys that are, like, under eight, potentially. There's a lot of potential in this world. And there was a lot of potential in this argument. Okay. But it wasn't like, this will definitely help. It was like, eh, There might be something there? There might be something there. Okay. But surprisingly, not for girls. Oh. So only... Which is weird. Only half of the population. But I can't figure... I don't know enough, like, why boys and not girls. Sure. But... Maybe that's all they studied, or... Maybe. I don't know. But I'm interested in seeing what the research is behind that one. I would be too. How it's brought up. Um, I would also be curious to know how many schools and teachers and whatnot already do this. And does this need to be required in state law? Again, once it's in law, it becomes a a mandate that we have to do this. So again, funding, support, accountability. But do we already do this? And it might be a question, like we said, with the next generation science standards. If 75% of the schools are already doing it, what's the harm? If we're already doing it, what's the harm? I just don't see the differences, though. The next generation of science standards are are a, are a step up and uh, an improvement upon our current standards. I don't know how this improves the lives of our learners. I haven't seen that yet. Again, we're cranking through Valentine's Day afternoon here. Let's so get through it. Clearly, clearly, you're with your significant other, listening to all these fascinating bills, and we're down to two just crazy cool ones here. Do they have Do they have emoji in cursive, by the way? Uh, depends how you write it. Okay. LD-464, an act to change the period to request a due process hearing for costs related to a unilateral private school placement from a public school. Right. Yep. You got it. Yep. So basically, this removes a requirement that rules adopted by the commissioner include a maximum period. And it provides that an action against a school administrative unit to recover the costs of a unilateral special ed placement in a private school may be commenced only by requesting a due process hearing within 90 days of the placement. So it seems like this is just a lot of technical rules. Right. So I'm just going to move on because I, I think it's, it's, it's more of a clarification, it seems. It seems like it's more of a clarification, adding a bit of language to help support due process. Which is great. More clarification cannot go wrong. Well, maybe it could. <laughs> it could very easily You've go listen wrong. to these podcasts, right? <laughs> I download only. <laughs> Smart. Uh, LD-236, our final one of the 14th. This is an act regarding the use of unanticipated state aid for kindergarten to grade 12 education. Right. And this, this is basically an already existing bill. This is already existing law, um, but it's updating it. So they're adding two things. What are they adding? They're changing the warrant that's presented when at your budget meeting from a may include an article providing that if you get more state education subsidy than included in the budget, then you'll spend it on this or you'll do this with it to a must. So now you have to have it. I got a problem with that right off the bat. Okay. But let's talk about the second one first. Sure. And the second one says if, and this is more of a clarification. I like this one. If as a result of the additional subsidy, the board doesn't raise 100% of the required local contribution, then you're waiving that required proration. So basically, if you get more money than you thought and it goes below that local requirement to gain the rest of the state aid, they just say, ah, that's fine. 
That makes sense to me. That's a great one. Okay. I'm sure that happens in some random school district. Definitely not. <laughs> I don't know. We don't know that much. But the reason I like, I don't like this one uh, is because I'm thinking back to last year. And last year at our budget meeting, we we talk about what happens. We, let's we let's talk, talk about, about it. We talk, talk about, about what in happened. the board and we talk about in the public what happens if we get more aid than anticipated. Because Every board does this. Last year at our budget meetings, we still didn't have a final amount. So we were guessing. The, the ED-279s, which is the, the EPS formula, tells you how much you're going to get, but it was still happening in the legislature. So we right. didn't have a final amount. So we said, we're going to do whatever with that money. This is our promise. If we get more, this is what we're going to do. Blah. We didn't put it on a warrant because you didn't have an amount. You can't put an amount on a warrant right. if you don't know how much that amount is. You're just guessing at that point. If you do put an amount on, well, it's kind of law at that point. You're voting on that. You're voting on that amount. amount, yeah. So if that if with this must one, that means they would have to tell us the actual amount every year before these budget meetings, which happen in like April or early May. And sometimes yeah, the budget meetings happen early, on, but they don't get the. They sometimes don't, they're not done. No, they, the, the legislature's not done. The legislature's yet. not done. They have not done nearly enough. They're never. They're never their their budget season is never in sync with school district budget no, seasons. It doesn't work out. It never works out because we have to go to warrant. We have to go to uh go to the, go to voting in in June. So you get so if you backtrack from June, you know you have to have your district meeting and then in May, and then all your town meetings before that, and so then you have to plan the budget. So a lot of districts are in budget considerations meetings right now. They're starting. Or they already yeah, have absolutely. started that process, and so if the ED two seventy nines are not out in reasonable amount of time. Or if they come out, say, in July, mm-hmm. which has happened, yeah, um, we've already passed everything through local. It's all been voted on by the towns. Right. And if you have because, a- all, because all of our budgets are guesswork as to what might be coming. So I, 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 I hope that this is also a push to say to the, the legislature, hey, get the budget stuff done sooner. But I don't I, think it I is. I would say hope, let's hopefully on that one. Right. My guess is why this came up is because they're – must be a school district out there that kind of went back on what they'd say. Because, you know, I'm thinking of what we do. We we talk about it with the public. We talk about it with the board. Uh, we'll give that money back or we'll spend half of it on teacher salaries or something. And you kind of make a like a kind of an, a handshake agreement, as it were, that this is what we'll do if we get more money. Right. You'll say we're, we'll, we'll spend it, but we're not really sure how much we're going to get. So... This is we're, what we're thinking. We're thinking in these terms over here or that over there or maybe something new down the road or if, or if something we haven't funded in a long time, but we might want to put it into our fund balance or wherever it might be. We might want to put it into these certain places, but since we don't know how much it is, we're not sure where it's going to go, but we promise we'll let you know what we're doing with it. And that's totally fine. Right. But if I say we're just going to give it back to the towns for property tax relief and then you don't? Yep. That's a problem. Trouble. That's a problem. And now this basically requires the reason why you're doing it, which I think is a good thing in theory, but it's not so good when what actually happens. Right. So if it's a if the first part you said was a push to the legislature to get their job done beforehand, that'd be great. I'm not sure if this is exactly the way to do it. I so I'm interested either. in seeing what happens because I, that, that would be my guess. Good idea in theory, but we're not quite there. They, they, they could help districts out so much by, by improving that budget cycle. By just making sure that we have the the ED two seventy nine with a timely fashion, because eventually in the spring too, we also get those insurance 
costs that come in. I know, oh, yeah. I know for everyone out there who's not in administration, like, what are you talking about? Well, then we get our insurance rates, and that determines how much of the district money has to go to insurance. And sometimes it's, not, it's nothing. Sometimes it's like a whole heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. And so if, if it drives the budget almost it, it, in a lot of ways, it does. And yeah. so if, if we don't have those numbers, then we're, then we're just doing a lot of guesswork and we're doing a lot of guesswork with the taxpayer millions of dollars of taxpayer money. And that's just that shouldn't be how it is. That was Valentine's Day, folks. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. So those, that little, was, those little sweet tart hearts. That was it. Uh, all in cursive. So that was a day and a half of public hearings coming up on the 13th and 14th in Augusta. Please attend or listen. Is there we'll, one on, on hieroglyphics coming up? Yes, that was a, that's a later one. Okay, we'll talk about that one when we get there. When it gets there, yes. So our next ones after this, again, our plan is to review the testimonies and preview the public hearings. Right, we'll review the testimonies from February 4th. That's our next one. That's our next one. And then preview whatever's coming next And after the 13th, 14th. Pretty much the rest of the session. That's kind of how we're going to run these. It's getting busy. It is. And hopefully in there, we'll have a couple of interviews. We get to, to talk to a few people here and there. We do. We have one set up already, which is in the future. It's extremely exciting. It's, we're not going to tell you. It it's, it, it's a good get. It's a good get. It's a good get. It's a good get. So that one is coming up in about a month or so. Right. So make sure you follow us on Twitter and Facebook to get those updates, to Indeed. listen to these amazing interviews. Participate in our polls. Let us Please know how do. we're doing. Let us know what else you want to talk about. We will put links to all of the testimony places and education committee where you can listen to the testimony and follow all this stuff along to, on to, online too. But we'll also be providing as much information as we can online. And that's on Facebook where? Maine Education Matters. And where on Twitter? Maine Ed Matters. It was close. It was close. It just doesn't go that long. Nah. Yeah. Twitter has this thing about character length. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Yeah,